Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber friends. I am Mark Shine, the national co-chair of Marsh McLennan Agency Cyber Center of Excellence, and I have a very special guest today here, uh, Mr. Robert Chesler. Hello, Mark. Thanks, Bob, for joining. So Bob and I have been friends for many years. I certainly appreciate you coming on the mm-hmm. show today. Um, so Bob, before we get into kind of you know who you are and what you've been able to do you know throughout your professional career, because I find it very impressive, kind of tell me about the guy that grew up in Long Island. What were your hobbies? What did you like doing? That kind of thing. I was uh, like to think of myself as a regular kid. You know, played sports, read. I've always read a great many books. I became, as a high school senior, really interested in music in a big way. And I always loved the uh, sub- subject of history in school and originally wanted to be a history professor, ended up being a lawyer instead. Uh, so uh, I don't see anything remarkable about the way I grew up, really. I had the real, you know, uh, for those of you who remember, the Ozzy and Harriet Nelson, Father Knows Best type of uh, background. Yep. Sure. Leave it to Beaver. There you go. So, so when you were reading these, when you were when you were reading, you know, all these books throughout uh, high mm-hmm. school, was there any genre that was really kind of fascinating to you? I like fiction, and I still read lots of fiction these days. Okay, I still keep reading a book a week. A book a week. Yeah, and as a certain number of pages, or is it just no? I speed up for the longer ones, I guess. There you go. <laughs> So, so you said you, uh, high school. High school music was a big part of your life. What kind of music? A friend of mine was a reporter for Rolling Stone, and he had free tickets to every rock concert in New York. So we went very frequently, and I became a huge fan of various bands: okay. Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, you know that type of stuff. Rolling Stones. Sounds like a great friend to have. Yeah. So, so, um, so how does the guy who was going to these rock concerts, how did the history professor, how did that come into play? I've just always been fascinated by history. And as I mentioned, uh, I got a degree in uh, European history and taught for a year, but the job market was so bad that I gave up and went to law school instead. So, so Bob, um, you know, I, I know I know your background and some of the degrees that you have, but I, I, I would think the listeners would be fascinated because I think you have one of the most phenomenal educations, uh, you know, out of individuals that I've dealt with. They had trouble getting me out of school. <laughs> I went to Rutgers undergraduate, Princeton graduate school, and Harvard Law School. And which one of those did you feel was the pivotal moment that helped you kind of get to the point that you are at today? I loved Rutgers as an undergraduate campus, met a lot of fascinating people, did a lot of interesting things. It really helped me develop as a human being. Uh, Graduate school was much more intense than law school, I found. And I wasn't that impressed by law school because after going through graduate school and teaching for a year, being a student again wasn't that much fun. (laughs) I could certainly appreciate that. Yeah. So so you've taught at SUNY schools, you've taught at Harvard, I mean... Mm -hmm. Um, Bob, when I take a look at the amount of uh, publications that you've put out, I mean, it, it's literally pages of publications. Um, tell me about your writing process and, and um, uh, kind of the thought behind it and, and the intellectual capital that you share with uh, you know, your, your mm-hmm. colleagues. Uh, 
In the past few years, I've tried to write about topics of interest, of course. I usually work with an associate or another partner. I like to do first drafts off the top of my head and then give it to somebody else to put into final. And I look for interesting issues in insurance law. I just did an article with Pamela Hans in my office on sex abuse insurance issues. I did an article recently on 2019 insurance coverage issues, both nationally and a separate article in New Jersey. New Jersey had an extremely favorable year for policyholders in four decisions. I try to establish myself as a leader in the field by doing the articles, and I also send them to my clients and contacts to show that I'm active, that I'm on top of things. It rarely directly brings work in, but I think part of bringing work in is establishing yourself as a thought leader as you're trying to do and have done, and have people look up to you as a source of information. Well, Bob, I certainly look up to you and the fact what you've been able to do in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of going to it now, we were just talking before the show started about the pro bono work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about it? For small insurance coverage cases, people really don't have any remedy. If an insurance coverage company denies coverage of a $2,000 or even a $20,000 claim, there's no way can sue over that because of the attorney's fees involved. Mm-hmm. And so whenever possible, I'll take on a small case for a pro bono organization or a nonprofit in order to get them the coverage they deserve. I feel it's my way of giving back a little. I've done uh, pro bono work for a large variety of organizations, for a church, for victim people who had breast cancer, who couldn't get reconstructive surgery paid for by their insurance company. And there's a group called the Pro Bono Partnership in the tri-state area. And they send their insurance coverage cases to me for their nonprofit clients. So uh, it's something I do two or three times a year, small cases. But again, it's a way of helping people. Sure. So, so Bob, if the listeners want to find you um, on social media, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, do you have a Twitter, uh, a LinkedIn profile that we can uh, add on to the um, uh, the bio when uh, we post it? No Twitter, but LinkedIn, yes. Okay, great. We'll, we'll make sure to add a link mm-hmm. so uh, members can reach out to you directly. So, um, Bob, I mean, you know, appreciating the fact that you've had such a, a vast uh, uh, amount of experience in different sections of law over the past 30 years. I'm going to correct that. Okay. I've only done insurance law for the past 36 years. So it's, I'm very well versed in all types of insurance law, but I know very little about contract law or tort law or whatever. It's what I picked up through insurance. People always come to me with with questions about the law, and I always say, I don't know that I used to do insurance. <laughs> there you go. So, so, Bob, I mean, what are your predictions, knowing the insurance industry within cyber insurance? Mm-hmm. You've seen the way that some policies have trended, directors and officers, employment practices, liability. Now we see cyber. What are your thoughts in the cyber marketplace currently, and then where do you see the marketplace going? I think that the cyber policies have been very successful so far in compensating their policyholders, and we're reaching a moment where we have to see if the insurance companies will become more restrictive in coverage. They have not denied claims, to my knowledge, as a general rule. In fact, I was just involved in a claim where they admitted coverage for a $5 million ransomware payment, and I think that's been typical. However, as the ransomware payments mount and mount and mount and other types of liabilities grow, I wonder if the insurance industry's appetite 
for these types of policies and claims will change. Sure. That is a very fair point. And some insurance coverage has been very successful. I think employment insurance coverage has been very successful in providing a partnership between industry and insurance to combat employment claims. I mean, there's been some coverage litigation, but not a lot on those issues. And generally, I think that that's a good example of what cyber should strive for. And by providing support for its policyholders, I think the insurance industry is trying to do that. The question is, will the claims outgrow the industry's willingness to pay them? It's a, it's a conversation we have internally all the time. Mm-hmm. So, Bob, um, I guess when we think about um, 2020 and beyond, do you see cyber risk becoming more of a holistic business problem, or do you see it still being separated in terms of kind of the IT matter, and then we have the rest of the business uh, business unit? I think that it, my personal view is that the answer is both. I think that the cyber professionals will have a key place in industry and will have their own domains to run and be looked upon as a separate part of each company. At the same time, in insurance, cyber claims touch on other types of policies. number of cyber claims have been paid on business, uh, business crime policies. Mm-hmm. The UNO policies get involved when the directors and officers are sued for not having uh, the right procedures in place. So as a lawyer, I have to look to all types of policies to see if they are covered. There was a recent case where a ransomware uh, attack damaged a business's software and hardware, and they found coverage for that under a property policy. So on the one hand, I think that internally there will be a growing emphasis on cyber that we'll have to seep into other areas too, but cyber will be seen as a separate area. In insurance, it touches on a lot of different types of insurance policies. Sure. So, Bob, you've given us a tremendous amount of information today. Um, A few more questions before we end up letting you go. Um, When you think about, you know, your legacy and everything that you've been able to accomplish up until today, how do you want to be remembered? As somebody who fought to get people the money they deserve from insurance companies, Uh, Insurance coverage is incredibly nuanced. After 35 years, new issues keep arising, new hairs keep getting split, and it takes a real problem-solving mentality to look into these issues and be able to master them. And I take pride in the fact that I think I know the insurance world very well and can speak the insurance language with members of the insurance industry and get things done. I've enjoyed mentoring the younger people that I work with, and I look forward to uh, leaving a legacy of success for policyholders and getting coverage for their claims. Excellent. So, Bobby, is there any question that I should have asked that I didn't? I would just say that insurance is a narrow field, but it encompasses so many types of insurance. I mentioned to you just this past week I've received claims on ocean cargo policies, advertising injury coverage, and environmental impairment liability insurance. And we have specialists in in these types of areas because each policy has its own issues. Sure. But we handle any type of corporate insurance issue. We generally don't do things like workers' comp, auto, and the like. 
but we're really there to serve corporations for all their insurance needs. Excellent. Well, uh, Bob, thank you very much for coming on today's show. And for all of the listeners, I'd like to thank our cyber colleagues for joining and um, have a cyber safe day. 